The following podcast is a presentation of Liberty Christian Fellowship, loving God and loving people in a hurting world. For more information about our church, visit us online at libertyobx.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and encouragement. We hope this message inspires you and blesses you. Now prepare your hearts to hear a powerful word from God. God bless. Doing okay this morning? We doing all right? You sure? More of you made it through the stoplight at the high school than when we started. Did anybody run over a runner? No? Okay, that's good. We don't want you to do that. As, as uh, I was talking with Corey, we don't want you to do it intentionally or non-intentionally. Uh, we want you just to pray for the runners as you come by, right? Amen. Um, I talked to Pastor Jamie this morning at about 6.15 or so on my way to the church because he's over there with all the kids for the youth retreat. And uh, we were chit-chatting for a minute, and I said, now listen, I said, you know they've already closed Kitty Hawk Road, right? And he got quiet for just a second. He says, I'm going to be out of here in just a minute. <laughs> right? And uh, they'll still let you out the south end of Kitty Hawk Road for a little bit, but you got to watch out on the north end. So listen, it is a privilege to live in the place that we live out here in the Outer Banks. Um, For a lot of people who say, well, goodness, we love the fact that you live in the Outer Banks. We love the Outer Banks, you know. And I say, well, there's two Outer Banks. There's the one that you visit, and then there's one that we live in, right? Two very different places. But one of the privileges that we get is that all kinds of people come here, like for this marathon. They move here. Often they move here to get away from things, you know. Uh, uh, Craig Blackwell, one of our elders here, said to me one time when I was trying to figure out the culture of the Outer Banks, he said, well, one of the things you deal with in the Outer Banks is that there are people who are are running away from things. They move here to be away, right? We have people that retire here because they love the beauty of this place. There's a lot of uh, addiction, a lot of alcoholism out here in the Outer Banks because we have this off-season where if the on-season was not very good, You have nothing to do in the winter, and if you have nothing to do it with, very often people are depressed and broken and hurting in those times. And we get the privilege as the people of God to touch the nations because the nations come here. We get the privilege to see freedom and deliverance take place in the lives of the people because there's addicted and broken people out here. We get to speak destiny into people who think they're retired I love that word. It's like you were tired before, now you're tired again. Retired, right? And we get to speak into folks in that season of life and say, there's still purpose and destiny for you. God's got some amazing things for you to do. It is an amazing privilege to be out here. And that's part of what we're sowing into. When we become generous people, we're sowing uh, into that right where we are. Amen? So it's not just the little old Outer Banks. It's actually a place with a big purpose, and we get a big privilege to be a part of it. Amen? Well, listen, I want to just open up this morning and talk just uh, as a a little part of the opening here, a little nugget, if you will, about nothing. I want to talk to you about nothing for just a second. And if you would, I've got two scriptures I'd like for you um, to just follow along with me. Um, The first one is in John chapter 15. This is going to be a a familiar passage of scripture. And... um, It's John chapter 15, verse 5. And Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches in this passage. And Jesus is saying that he's the vine, we're the branches. And if we're going to have life, we've got to be connected to him. Okay? Is the analogy he's making here. Now listen to this. Verse 5, chapter 15 of John. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, now what I want you to do is flip over to Luke real quick. Chapter 1. What's happening here in Luke chapter 1 is that the angel has come to Mary and is telling her, even though she's a virgin, that she is going to be pregnant with a child. And that child's going to be Jesus. She's going to be miraculously pregnant. Okay? And then um, this is what uh, it happens here. It says, she says in verse 34, backing up just a little bit, she says, how's this going to be since I'm a virgin? That's a good question. Right? She has nothing in her womb. How's this going to be? The angel says the Holy Spirit's going to come on, uh, on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One uh, to be born will be called the Son of God. And then look down at verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail, okay, is what it says in my Bible here. But a better translation of it is what you have right here. If you go back to the original language in the Greek there, that is exactly what it says. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. Okay? So we, John chapter 15, we have the ability to do nothing. That is something that we do well. We do nothing well. We can do nothing. Chapter 1 here of Luke tells us that God is unable to do nothing. Nothing is something he doesn't do. Nothing's impossible. Now, I know that weirds some people out when you start saying God can't do something, right? But see, God operates according to his nature. The Bible says that God does not lie. Yes? The Bible says God is loving, right? So even the difficult things that God does or the correcting things that God does, the discipline, um, it comes out of who he is. It's just a loving action, right? Because love is what he does. He can't do any different than that. That's his nature. So we do nothing very well, and God doesn't do nothing at all. Nothing. This is important. I um, was a flunky when it came to math. Okay? <laughs> math was not my friend. Some people might say I just wasn't motivated. I would say I got really confused when they added letters to the numbers and called it algebra. They lost me when they added numbers to the uh, letters to the whole thing. I made a D in college algebra at the first college I was at, only to find that when I transferred to another college that Ds don't transfer and found that I was going to have to take another math. So I took Math 108, which is basically how to do your checkbook. Right? Or as we politely called it, dummy math of which I was in. And uh, I didn't make an A in it, but I did pass it, and they let me out of college, and it was great. So math is not something I do well, but let's do a little simple math together here this morning, okay? Nothing plus nothing equals... Nothing minus nothing is... Nothing times nothing is... And nothing divided by nothing is... But what these verses tell us is that nothing plus God's going to equal something. 
Because God doesn't do nothing. God always does something. So no matter what end circumstance you're in, even if you think you lack or you have nothing or you're not enough or you're incapable, if you'll give whatever that is, if you will add that, if you will give that to the Lord, that equation, God in the equation, equals something. There's never a point where God's not doing something. Because even if God is inactive, it is part of something he's doing to produce something. Even when God is silent, as I heard one pastor say, he's not absent. Even when God is slow to answer, he's working for the movement of his plan and for your good. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. We quote that all the time. What does that mean? That means there's a plan. That means that all things are working together, Romans 8, 28, for your good towards that plan. Whenever God's in the equation, there's more. When we don't have God in the equation, nothing plus nothing <laughs> equals nothing. All right? Now, if, uh, John, you can flip to the uh, next slide with me. Um, I love the fact, another passage of Scripture says that all things are possible with God. Right? All things are possible with God. Well, the reason all things are possible with God is because God doesn't do nothing. He just won't do that. God's going to do something with anything that we place into his hands. Are you okay with me? All right. So this leads us to the meaning of a place that we were touching on last week, and I'd like to go back there for just a minute. If you'll flip over to Matthew with me and look at Matthew chapter 6, which is where we were last week. And I want to read these passages to you. We talked about last week about the fact that where your treasure is is where your heart's going to be. So if you will discover or follow the treasure map, you're going to find out where your heart is. You can look at where you spend your time. You can look at your checkbook and where you spend your finances. And you're going to find what has your heart. And the reason Jesus pushes down on this so much is who wants your heart? Jesus does. Why? Because he wants to adopt you as his children. He wants to pour out all the kingdom blessings on you. And if you're serving another master, then you're living in that kingdom, at least in that area of your life, and you're going to reap the benefits of that kingdom. God wants you to participate in his economy. Okay? Which John 10.10 10, we talked about last week. His economy is to give life and to give it to the full. The world's economy is to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? Following. So if you look at verse 24 with me, um, of chapter 6, this is what it says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, so that's kind of where we were last week. So if God is in the equation, if we're going to serve God, if we're going to give him our nothing, if we're going to add God to the equation, it's what generosity is really about, then that's what purchases us the next verse. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear is life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
Is that how, is, uh, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Verse 31. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the, uh, the pagans run after, the unbelievers run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So number one, if we are adding God to the equation, we're giving to God right, of our time, our attention, our affections, our worship, our finances, we're giving to God first, then we can move into a season where we don't worry because we know that God's going to take care of us because we know how valuable we are to God. How valuable are you? How valuable are you? Something is worth what someone's willing to pay for it, amen? If you give me a check for a million bucks, you can absolutely have my car in the parking lot even though it's only valued at about $3,000, right? Because it'll be worth a million bucks because that's what you gave me for it and I'll be happy to take it. Um, You are worth the life of God. That's what he gave for you. That's your value. How much more valuable are you? You are as valuable to God as his own son, because that's what he paid to have you. How much more is he going to take care of you than just the basic things of the earth? So don't worry, is what he's saying. The unbelievers he's he's saying are the ones who go, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? Am I going to have enough? What's going to happen? I've got nothing is what they say. And what God's saying is don't do that. Just seek first, give first, love first, worship him first, and all that stuff's going to be added to you, is what he's saying. I'm going to take care of you. Our problem is we're looking for just enough to meet our needs. We look at our nothing or our lack or our little, and we have a tendency to start with ourselves and say, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Where is it going to come from? Where am I going to go get it? We start with ourselves, and that leaves us in lack, and we panic is what happens. Our goal becomes just paying our bills and getting by or having just enough. We get into that cycle, and then maybe if there's a little bit left over of our time or resources, we'll try to make it to church or give a little bit of money if we have something left over after we panic about trying to take care of our stuff. So worry and fear, stressing over stuff, toiling and working over it, we get terrorized by our circumstances. We feel a tension of wanting to do more, but we can't because of our own lives and our own needs. You ever feel that way where a missionary comes to church and speaks and you really like to do something, but you feel like you just can't, you don't have any money to give? Or you see a need in the community and you love to do it, but you just don't have time. And we begin to feel guilty because we feel like we ought to be doing more or should do more, but we've got no space or margin for it in our lives. And then we begin to beat on ourselves that we aren't doing enough. And again, we get back to this paralysis in our mind. We get robbed of being generous. This is what's called, John, you can flip to the, or Shelly, thanks, uh, to the next slide, is what we call a poverty mindset or a poverty mentality. It starts with lack. It starts with I'm not enough. It starts with what am I going to do. It starts from the perspective of I have nothing. Listen, if you are a son or daughter of the Most High God, according to what we just read, God takes care of you. You have God, which means you have provision. I told you last week, if we do God's things God's way, we get God's stuff. 
That's how it works. The blessings, the provision, the direction, the joy, the peace. That we live in his kingdom, and the Bible says that his, his uh, kingdom is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what we get by his spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives in us is what is available to us. But yet, instead of starting with what we have, we begin with a focus on what we have not. We start with nothing instead of starting with we have the kingdom. It's a poverty mindset. And the thing is that mindset leaves us right where we are. If we are afraid that we're not going to make it, then we're likely not to go. Yes? If we're afraid we're not going to make it, we're likely not to go. So God has so much more for us than just enough. God wants more for you than just getting by. God doesn't want you just to limp or scrape over the finish line of this thing and go, I'm glad I made it. That's not what victorious life is about. When we look in Ephesians 3 and it says that God is able to do abundantly above and beyond anything that we can ask or imagine, that's not poverty mindset. That's, I have a king who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I have a king who told me I have an inheritance that's the same inheritance as his son. That I am never without because he that lives within me is greater than he that's in the world. And it allows us to have a whole different perspective on our circumstances. It's more than meeting your needs. It's about being blessed in this life and being able to go out here and make a difference and impact the entire world. It's about sowing into a movement that God is unfolding. Listen, God's not losing. This is not an equal boxing match between God and Satan and we're cheering, hoping that he wins. This thing was settled 2,000 years ago. Done. Jesus, interestingly enough, and we don't have time to unpack this this morning, but the Bible says that he's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. From the beginning of the world, which means victory was a done deal before this whole deal got started. It's going to happen. God is moving. God is advancing. God is loving. God is pouring out. God is guiding. God is all present. He's all powerful. And he is available completely to us. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace in our time of need is what Hebrews says. We need to start there. And then we can see not only how we will have blessing and ability to be generous and the ability to make a difference, but we'll see how God multiplies it over and over and over. God changing nations because of you and me being generous like Jesus is generous. God's answer is generosity. Once again, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 9 with me. And we're going to look um, just at a little section of scripture here before we take communion together this morning. And I want to briefly give you just a a few things here um, about, again, about this idea of generosity that we've been talking about. And we're going to dig, I believe, next week uh, a little further into chapters 8 and 9 of the book of 2 Corinthians. I just want to touch on a little nugget for it, of it uh, here this morning to give you a little foundation. Um, Here's the principle I want you to lay hold of right up here. God's mechanism of provision and increase in our lives is generosity. God's method for provision and increase in our lives is generosity. It was modeled for us by Jesus. And the Bible says we're to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Okay? 
Um, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with me, if you will. We're going to go down to verse 6. And the first thing I want you to lay hold of this morning is we are to be a farmer and not a hoarder. We're to be farmers, not hoarders. Hoarders collect things, store them, get terrorized by the things they have to the point at which they can't even live and move freely in their own homes. Farmers take the thing that has been provided to them, plants it in the ground, it grows, it produces a crop, the crop provides for them, and the crop also allows them to continue to sow, to continue to produce a harvest, to do a business. That food goes out from there and blesses all kinds of all other people everywhere else. We're to be farmers, not hoarders. Look at verse 6 of chapter 9 with me. Remember this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, um, this is about sowing and reaping. The Apostle Paul here is using an analogy that would be very familiar to the people of that day. Agriculture was a common thing that people did for a living. They planted things, grew things sold the, of the harvest. They also got their own food from the stuff that they grew. This was a familiar analogy for them. So it's something they would understand, but it's also a principle related to generosity that we need to get and that Paul was wanting them to get, and he was also commending them for. Sowing, if you're not familiar with the term, is planning. It's about giving. You're giving into the ground. You're planting it, and then you're tending it so that it will grow. That's sowing. It's giving. Does that make sense? Reaping is the return on that sowing, which means when the crop grows, if it's weed, it gets the little thing on top with all the little seeds on it. You plant one seed, it grows a plant, and on the top of that stalk of wheat is a little bud thing on top, which I'm sure there's a scientific name that I'm not smart enough to know this morning. And on there are tons of little seeds from one produces many. They sow into the ground and then reap abundantly more. Are, are we okay? You plant one kernel, whatever, of corn, and when the stalk grows, you get multiple, right, ears of corn, and on each ear of corn are tons of kernels of corn. There's a return on what was sown, and the return is larger than what was sown Reaping is the returns on that giving. What this passage, verse 6 says, if we hold back and sow little, you get less of a return. If you sow a bunch, there's more of a return. Now there's a whole other message that we can do here, which we won't do this morning, about making sure you sow in good soil. If you plant seeds in bad soil, you're not going to get as much of a return. If you plant seeds and then don't tend it, water it, take care of it, watch after it, it's going to be taken or stolen or not grow like it should. Okay? So where we give is important. Yes? Where we give is important. Where you invest is important. You have limited resources. You have 24 hours in a day. There is not a 25th hour. Right? You get 24 of those things to divide up in various ways to spend on certain things. You want to spend that time wisely, especially since you're not guaranteed the amount of that resource, right? 
For some of you, you are spending your last moments in this house this morning, maybe. This may be your last day. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Right? Are you investing wisely? Evaluate that. Look at the fruit. Where we give is important. Reaping is important. The returns, right? You get all this return back. If you store up more than you can eat, it will rot and be wasted. If you give away all of it, you will starve. Right? So what you do with the returns is important. All right. So that's the first thing is God's intention for us is to be farmers, not hoarders. We're to take what we're given of our time, our resources, our relationships, our gifts, our talents, and we are to sow them, not keep them for ourselves. To plant them until they grow so that out of that we'll be provided for and there will be a return that is for more than just us. All right, look at verse 7 with me. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the second thing I want you to look at here is this question. What do you want to do? It's up to you. What do you want to do? I have not been doing this teaching on giving to tell you you got to do anything. Good Lord, the last thing I want you to do is to do stuff you don't want to do. Because at the end of the day, you can do a lot of so-so things with the right heart, and God can do something with it. Nothing in the equation with God can equal something more. But you could do some pretty good things with a wrong heart, and it won't amount to much. It'll cost you in the end. So it's up to you is what this passage says here. You need to get before the Lord, listen to God, look at these principles, and make a decision in your heart about what you're going to do with your seed. Your finances, your time, your talents, and your gifts. Never, and I heard another pastor say this, I was doing some study this week, and somebody recommended a message to me, and I watched that one, and this is what that pastor said, and I loved it. Never, not anyone else, and certainly not me, Don't let anyone else manipulate or guilt you into giving anything you don't want to give. God doesn't need your money. The issue is for you to make a decision in your heart before the Lord out of your love for him and his grace that has invaded your life to evaluate what's been placed into your hands and make a decision before the Lord. Lord, I want you to have this. Now, where do you want me to sow it, and how do you want me to sow it? And God gives us principles in Scripture, which we've been talking about, like tithing into the storehouse, which is your local church. That's a principle. But you've got to decide in your heart, and then obey those principles according to what you've decided in your heart. Because, as it says in Samuel, in the book of Samuel, it says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So just because we may run around and do a lot of philanthropic things, the college word this morning, a lot of good charitable stuff, and we get seen and we get honored and whatever, we still might be cold and dead on the inside. God's after the heart. But when God's added into that equation, nations can shift. 
things can change. When God has your heart, everything else can follow suit. It can be planted deep and reap a huge harvest. But when we do things just to be seen, or we do things out of guilt and whatnot, that goes back to that poverty mindset, which will wind up leaving us where we are. Are we okay? Does that make sense? You've got to decide in your heart what you want to do. It says that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we catch on to the principle of generosity. Why? Because he's generous. And what more do we want for our kids than for them to emulate the principles that we've given them, right? I, uh, on occasion, when my daughter, Victoria, deals with certain challenges, and I hear her, she comes home and she tells me how she handled it, sometimes my heart swells up real big and gets real full because I hear her having handled something or repeating some things that we've, some, that we've sown into her. Well, we've planted some things into her about loving people and seeing people as Jesus sees people, not as we see them, right? And about fighting for those who can't fight for themselves and that kind of stuff. And when she comes home and she talks about the encounter she had and all of a sudden we're going, man, look at the harvest. She was able to minister to somebody I'll never see, but it was because of a seed we sowed in her life. So that when we give cheerfully, when we give of our own decision, we've laid a hold of this principle and we go, I want to do it. Because doing it's being like Jesus and Jesus is going to do big things. God loves it because we're becoming the thing that he created us for. God loves a cheerful giver. That when we get it, God loves us to get it and get it for the right reasons. Listen, giving is not a law. It's a principle that will transform your life. It's a principle that will change the world. And when we lay hold of it, God gets excited and does a dance and freaks out about you in excited ways. Because look at my kids. Look at my kids doing the stuff that's going to be good for them. God loves a cheerful giver. The deal is God wants for you to feel the joy that he felt. The Bible says that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus gave his life freely in joy. He knew that the return, the harvest on that seed of his life that he was sowing was going to be people like you and me sitting here today. It was for the joy he set for him. God wants you to feel the joy that he feels. What an incredible thing that God gives us. All right, look at verse eight with me. And if I could get the communion team to come on down, if you would. And get ready. We're going to take communion in just a second. Verse 8 of chapter 9. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all, uh, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. Check that out. God is able to bless you in all things, at all times, having everything you need. You will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So the first thing here that he says is God is able to bless you abundantly. So the first question for you in that is then, do you trust him? And uh, if you flip to that next slide there, 
It says here that he will give you seed and he will give you bread. Do you trust that God's going to give you an increase on what you sow, which is more seed, to be able to sow more seed, to change the world, to be a part of something larger than yourself, to see the nations come o- become overrun with revival out of the heart of God because of seeds we've sown? And do you trust God to give you bread, which is what you eat? Right? There are people who have made a lifestyle choice, and I know it them, blesses them in terms of their health, to be uh, gluten-free. But I like to freely eat gluten, and that's bread. I like bread. But in all seriousness, God says right here, he's going to give you the seed to sow, and he's going to give you the bread. Do you trust him with that? You have to answer that question for yourself. Because the promise is, it's not after I eat my bread, which is do all my stuff for living and pay all my bills and take care of all that, let's see if there's any seed left to sow. The deal is, often we eat all of our seed, and there's nothing left to sow. And we're stuck back in a poverty mindset again, and we're paralyzed right where we are. Instead of stepping out in the trust with the little that we've been given and add God to the equation, and then there's more, we can begin to look at what we've been given and say, okay, inside of here is the bread I need to live and the seed I need to sow. He gives both. And if we will do both, God provides increase, it says right here, abundantly. A harvest of righteousness, the scripture says, which means you're going to grow. You're going to grow in your relationship with Christ. Righteousness is about right relationships. That You're going to have a harvest of righteousness. You're going to have more intimacy with God. You're going to hear God more. You're going to see more opportunities to give. But you also will have more provision for your needs. You will also have more seed. Look, it's real simple like this. These are spiritual terms and analogies and whatnot, but here's the deal. If you have work, if you're in here today and you have work, that is something that has been given to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. So even your job is a gift. And if you will work hard, what is working hard and working excellently and working with a good heart and being a good employee? What is that? That's sowing. And if you sow, you will reap, right? Because if you are a good and indispensable employee, one of the things that you will reap is promotions and raises and influence. Yes? Sow with what you have. Part of the bread that's been afforded you and the seed that's been afforded you is your job. You have kindness and gentleness and love. Those things are things you have. It's bread and it's seed. If you will sow your kindness into people, you will reap right relationships. If you sow forgiveness into someone, you will reap some forgiveness yourself. It works. It works. And it is a promise of Scripture. Sowing and reaping. So as we give our time and our talent, our work, our finances, our love, our kindness, the more we're going to be able to do it. Not only will you have provision, but you will also have overflow. And people will get saved. Miracles will happen. You will be able to do more than you ever dreamed, go places you never thought you would go, and see God shape the nations. Let's stand together, if you will. Bill Johnson said this in a message that I saw this week. And I love this phrase. We get to shape the course of history with our generosity. We get to shape the course of history with our generosity. And here's the deal. We're not doing something that has not been modeled for us first. 
And then God, as we submit our lives to him, he empowers us to do with him working through us. God shaped the course of human history with his generosity. I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face, probably in all sermons for all time. John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave. God sowed his highest and his best. There is nothing higher and there's nothing better than himself. The Bible says it was his son. The Bible describes Jesus as the bread of life. Bread. We partake of Jesus. We submit our lives to him. And what do we get? We get life. The Bible also calls Jesus, one of the names of Jesus, he is the seed of Abraham. What was the promise to Abraham? That he would be the father of many nations. He would be multiplied. That as he sowed his faith and his obedience, that there would be a harvest of people. And you're part of that. Bread and seed. So as we celebrate communion this morning, what I want us to be reminded of, as we hold up the bread that Jesus broke on the night before he was crucified and said, this is my body given for you. What were we given? We were given life by Jesus. And then his blood which was shed. And he is of the bloodline of Abraham. He is the seed of Abraham. The blood that was shed for the remission of sins. The sins of who? The whole world. For what? So that the harvest would be multiplied and come in. Bread and seed. So as we come this morning and we take communion, I want you to remember the one who did it for us first. God giving his son so that we can believe by faith this morning and be children of God that our sins are washed away, we're made white as snow. And then we can begin to look at our own lives from a mindset of the gospel instead of a mindset of poverty. And know that we have a Father who has provided for us and that as we sow what we've been given, we will have bread and bread provision and we will have seed to go and sow ourselves and shape the course of history. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we bless these elements here that remind us that Jesus is the bread of life and he is the seed of Abraham that reaps a harvest. Many nations, children coming home. We pray that you would just bless this bread that Jesus bore the stripes on his back for our healing. His body broken for us. And this juice this morning, Lord, your blood that was shed so I don't have to have guilt anymore. But I am set free, and now as I'm set free, I can go and proclaim that and sow out here in the world and see you reap a harvest of more children coming home. So we love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as Carissa plays and sings, if you would just come this morning and receive communion, and as you do, after you receive the, when you get the elements this morning, I want you to go ahead and take them. Okay, don't go back to your seat. Go ahead and receive the elements this morning.